You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1921st edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 23rd of March 2023. The editor of this edition is Sue Atchison, the producer is Pat Needham and your readers are David Palmer and Chris Payne. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines... Call for flood action, latest disruption by far the worst since road opened in 1984. Final destination moment after pothole fright. Step forward for new leisure centre on Western Way. Post office development in town centre is completed. A flood hit Major Bury St Edmunds Road will be closed for nearly three weeks for urgent works. The A143 at Compiègne Way will be closed from 9am till 5pm daily, from Monday until April the 8th. It is the latest in a series of closures along the flood-hit stretch with Suffolk Highways admitting to ongoing issues with drainage. Last Friday, an emergency road closure was put in place after drainage pumps taking water to the nearby field failed. It was the latest incident along the stretch which has been closed due to flooding on repeated occasions. Now calls have been made for a long-term resolution. Colin Payne who has lived in nearby Hollow Road for 68 years said last week's flooding was by far the worst Compiègne Way has experienced since it opened in 1984. Climate change is more and more a factor in the intensity of rainfall, but this, accompanied with the continued failure of the Suffolk County Council-managed pumping station in the middle of the roundabout at Compiègne Way-Thetford Road interchange, have accentuated the issue beyond any excuse Suffolk Highways have to offer. Suffolk Highways must now take this issue more seriously and allocate more funding. Trevor Beckwith, Morton Hall District Councillor, said he had raised the issue with Suffolk Highways on multiple occasions. They will tell you the problem but have done little to resolve it. Their only action seems to be closing the road, he said. We then have around 1,400 new houses coming as part of the North Eastbury development agreed under Vision 2031. As usual, everything is dealt with in isolation. So when the cumulative impact shows itself, the excuses start. On Wednesday, a spokeswoman for Suffolk Highway said, Following the emergency road closure, urgent work has been arranged to clear pump chambers of silt so we can replace the pumps this low-lying area relies upon to clear the water from the road into the River Lark. Compiègne Way will be closed between Hollow Road and Steve Lumley, Thetford Interchange, northwest bound carriageway only roundabouts from 9am to 5pm daily. A diversion will be in place. The spokeswoman added, in the meantime, our teams will continue to monitor the location and arrange for tanks to attend if, floods, if it floods prior to the pump repairs. A councillor said her life flashed before her before her eyes, after she and a string of other motorists hit a massive pothole on the A14. Councillor Katie Parker was travelling from Ruffham to Bury St Edmunds at about 8.30am last Friday with her two young sons and dog during the torrential rain and heavy snow when she struck the pothole which she likened to a crater. Her tyre popped and she tried to pull off the A14 but was faced with a line of cars at the side of the road that had also been damaged by the pothole. The 47-year-old said, I managed to get over as much as I possibly could, and then it was just an absolute nightmare. There were three cars already there. With her boys, aged 8 and 11, and their Tibetan terrier, Teddy, in the car, and no space for any other vehicles she feared would hit the pothole, she knew they needed to get out of the car. The dog wouldn't, because he was absolutely terrified and shaking, said Councillor Parker, who sits on Barry St Edmunds Town Council. 
The kids were both terrified. The eight-year-old was crying. It was one of those horror film final destination moments where I thought if a lorry pops its tyre, it will come into us and that will be that. It's one of those moments where you see your life flash in front of your eyes. One of the motorists who pulled over replaced her tyre and with Councillor Parker's hands shaking so much that she couldn't drive, another person drove her car into a lay-by where there were two other vehicles that had hit the same pothole, including someone she knew. Mum of two, Liz Drury of Berry, was heading to work after dropping off her children at school when her tyre blew. I was there with multiple other cars. There were at least five of us at one point, said the payroll administra administrator, who called the police. It was pretty scary, to be honest. The weather was awful on Friday morning. We had all that snow and it was rush hour. I was sat there for three hours in the end, waiting for the RAC guy to fix my tyre. Suffolk police attended and blocked the lane until highways fixed the pothole. Mrs Drury, 37, drove by the pothole again later that evening and believed the road had been repaired. However, she thought the hole should have been dealt with earlier and should never have been left to get in such a state. She was still waiting for her car to be looked at by a garage to see if there was any further damage. Councillor Parker said the roads around Berry were still strewn with potholes, including in Skyliner Way, where some have been fixed but others left. She thanked the two men who helped her in her hour of need. I was absolutely terrified and shaking, she said. Even when it was all sorted and we were home, I felt like I was in shock. It was such a frightening thing to happen. A Suffolk Highway spokesman said repairs to Skyline Away were to continue this week and were stopped earlier this month due to a material shortage. A National Highway spokesman said they were sorry to hear of the incidents. They added that the pothole was reported to them at 9.50am and was repaired 90 minutes later at 11.19am. The planned Western Way development in Barrow St Edmunds has been given the go-ahead to progress to the second stage of tendering. West Suffolk Council's Cabinet voted unanimously for the step which refers only to the initial phase of the scheme. The phase is budgeted to cost £75 million and include a leisure centre, West Suffolk's branch of the Suffolk Archives, and potentially office space and a preschool. The NHS has plans to provide a large community health facility on the site. In September 2022, it explained it needed more time to finish the business case due to new financial rules, meaning the health facility will not be provided in Phase 1. Councillor Sarah Milbay-White, portfolio holder for housing and strategic health, said at Tuesday's meeting, I just hope the health and wellbeing centre comes to fruition. We know we have a deficit of GPs in this area. I'm hoping the NHS will continue to engage with us and provide a large health and wellbeing centre in this development. In response, Councillor Robert Everett, portfolio holder for Families and Communities, said he would be very surprised if the NHS pulled out of the plans for the Health and Wellbeing Centre entirely. Councillor Everett said, The major issue with health and wellbeing is getting out there and into communities. We have proved the point at Milton Hall and Howard's Estate Community Centre that health centres within developments like Western Way are well used and well received. The Milton Hall Hub has a health centre and the Howard Estate Community Centre in Bury St Edmunds includes an NHS clinic room. West Suffolk Council approved an updated business case for Phase 1 of Western Way last December. The only notable change to the plans laid out last year is the sports hall will now be slightly larger, which will cost very little, according to um, the report brought to Cabinet. The latest cost plan shows the hub at an estimated 2.57% above budget. However, it's too early in the process for costings to be accurate, and there is time for mitigation such as savings and capital funding to be secured. A multi-million pound redevelopment of the former post office site in Bury St Edmunds town centre has been officially completed. The new building at 17 to 18 Cornhill, with 12 apartments and two ground floor commercial units, has been formally handed over to West Suffolk Council. It allows the authority to progress the sale of 11 of the apartments which have been reserved, 
and there has also been significant interest in the two units. The development maintains the Victorian front of the former post office and widens market thoroughfare by 50%. Councillor Susan Glossop, Cabinet Member for Growth at West Suffolk Council, said it was the culmination of a tremendous amount of work to deliver an aspect outlined in Berry's Town Centre Master Plan, shaped by 8,000 comments that call for improvements to Market Thoroughfare and St Andrews Street South. We have saved an important part of the town's heritage in the Victorian Cornhill frontage, which may otherwise have been at risk. We've widened Market Thoroughfare to help footfall between the Ark and the Cornhill, and we've turned an unattractive yard at the back of the building into a new commercial front which can encourage further investment to improve this street, she said. The council bought the site for £1.6 million after the post office decided in 2017 to move to WH Smith. Councillors backed a £6.72 million investment into the site in April 2018 and construction began in September 2020. Councillor John Griffiths, leader of West Suffolk Council, said... It improves and enhances the town and protects the beautiful Victorian architecture on Cornhill while maximising footfall and can only further benefit our residents, businesses and visitors. Councillor Sarah Broughton, Cabinet Member for Resources and Property, added it means we are able to progress the sale of 11 of the 12 apartments and the fact we have had such strong interest, even with some of the delays in the scheme, shows how much market interest there is in Berries and Edmonds Town Centre. The project continues to be modelled as cost-neutral. New Anglia Local Enterprise Partnership was awarded £32.1 million through the government's Getting Building Fund, including £2.75 million for the Cornhill project. Barry St Edmunds <coughs> residents suffering from tooth pain, including one who chiselled his own teeth in an effort to stop the pain, queued for hours this week to visit a pop-up dental charity clinic. Dentaid, which typically provides free dental care for the homeless and was set up to treat patients in developing countries, came to the Newberry Community Centre in the town on Tuesday and Wednesday offering free dental care to residents with tooth problems who cannot access an NHS dentist and funded by West Suffolk councillors, councillors Cliff Waterman, Max Clark and Diane Hind, there were more than 30 patients seen on the first day and over 40 expected on the second. Jack, a 33-year-old father who lives in the town, said he had been struggling with severe pain after five of his teeth cracked and chipped for around 16 months. He said, despite him and his partner calling more than 50 dentists, he could not find any that were taking on NHS patients and going private would mean paying £400 per tooth extraction. My mouth was bleeding so badly, but when I called NHS 111, they said I couldn't get an emergency dentist for three weeks, he said. I had no choice but to take a chisel to my teeth and file them down. It was so, so painful. Jack said the pain caused him serious stress and made daily life, including eating and drinking, difficult, and he lost almost two stone as a result. He voiced worries for his children and whether they would be able to access dental care in the future. He said of Dentaid, They are massively important. It's unreal. They're saving people so much stress and anxiety and anger. Councillor Hind thanked the community centre for allowing them to use the space as a waiting room. She said, People are coming, it and coming up in absolute agony and they need help. It shouldn't be necessary, and NHS dental provisions should be better. <coughs> Councillor Hind and Councillor Waterman said the two-day visit cost over £4,000 and added that they were determined to remain proactive on the issue of dentistry. Labour councillors are doing this to put a sticking plaster over holes in provisions that have been left, Councillor Waterman said. A married couple are setting up a dental practice in Bury St Edmunds amid concerns over a lack of services in the area. Flint House Dental, located at the Heath Farm Business Centre in Fornham All Saints, will open on Monday, March the 27th. The practice, run by Trusha and Dave Carr, will offer a variety of private dental services, 
with monthly membership plans available for children and adults. The cars have been working across East Anglia and bring decades of experience to their new venture. However, they have never run their own practice before. Mrs Carr said ownership of their own surgery would allow them to bring their own values into play. She said, working with other people, we don't have that authority to say, actually, can we do this this way? Whereas when you're the owners, you can dictate how you want things and make sure that it actually happens. The cars described their approach to dentistry as patient-focused. They submitted their plans for a new practice last April and oversaw building work at the Flint House complex themselves. To complete an extension to the premises, they enlisted the help of Mr Carr's father, a builder. I was labouring with my dad through the summer. I was helping him knock walls through, put steel girders in, building the extensions, bit at the front. Uh, he said, some local guys came to do the plumbing, the electrics and the flint work. West Suffolk, like many areas across England, has major issues with access to dental services, with many residents unable to get a timely appointment at a local clinic. In 2021 alone, 344 people attended West Suffolk Hospital's emergency department with dental problems. The cars hope that their practice will offer an exceptional experience to patients. If you get a rapport going with a dentist, you want to keep going with that particular practitioner. It's really important, said Mrs Carr. And her husband added, we have a very genuine, honest, back-to-basics approach to dentistry. Very transparent, very open. You come in, you get your options. 100 new public electric vehicle charging points are to be installed in West Suffolk, the District Council has announced. The new facilities will be installed as part of a deal between West Suffolk Council and Ubitricity. They will be situated on council-owned sites, including car parks, town centres and leisure centres. There is currently a push to make West Suffolk carbon neutral by 2030. Councillor Andy Drummond, the council's cabinet member for regulatory and environment, said, I welcome the collaboration with Ubitricity and am delighted that the energy motorists are to be supplied is from the same company that buys the energy we generate from our council-owned solar farm at competitive rates. Junior doctors who were on the picket line outside West Suffolk Hospital earlier this week have thanked the public, colleagues and the local hospital trust for their support. Members of the British Medical Association, the BMA, union, are calling for a full pay restoration to reverse the steep decline in pay faced by junior doctors since 2008-2009. Dr Ed Frew, a junior doctor currently working at the hospital in Bury St Edmunds, said he had seen friends leave the NHS due to concerns over pay. He said... I want to work in a health system that has fully motivated staff and a full roster of staff. Speaking during the strike action, Dr Paul Molliner, Medical Director at West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, said, Sadly for most people, we are having to postpone appointments and procedures to redeploy our consultant workforce to our emergency departments and other critical services. The proposed hours for a new cinema have been revised after residents raised concerns about late-night noise and disturbance. Every man has applied to West Suffolk Council for a premises licence for its new branch in the basement of the former Debenham store at the Ark Shopping Centre in Bury St Edmunds. Originally, the application sought permission for regulated entertainment, including films and live and recorded music, and the sale of alcohol on the premises from 8am to 3am the next morning, Monday to Sunday, as well as late-night refreshment indoors from Monday to Sunday from 11pm to 3am. The opening hours requested were from 8am to 3.30am the next morning, Monday to Sunday. West Suffolk Council confirmed the applicant had now requested that the hours are amended to Sunday to Thursday, all licensable activities to midnight, opening hours to 1am. Friday and Saturday, all licensable activities to 1am, opening to 2am. 
Some nearby residents had raised concerns over the hours originally proposed, with worries over antisocial behaviour in the town centre late at night. Celia Lawrence of the Nelson Road Residents Association said her association was very pleased with the outcome, adding that every man had been very cooperative and listened to their concerns and worked with them. I'm not against anybody going to the cinema. It's just the antisocial behaviour that could come from the late night drinking, she said, speaking of why residents had been worried. Councillor Jo Rayner, who has supported residents in the background, said she could understand why people were concerned about a 3am finish every day and could also understand every man's rationale that they were unlikely to use those hours every day. Speaking of the outcome, she added, generally it's been a really positive experience. It's been disappointing, it's caused anxiety, but the outcome and the process has worked really well. However, Tom Murray, who lives in Prospect Row near the former Debenhams, said he still thought the proposed hours were too long. The deadline to make representations on the application was yesterday. Every man was approached for comment. Matt Hancock, MP for West Suffolk, explains his campaign for a cinema in Newmarket. To people who have never been to Newmarket, it is often perceived as a small town known for its thoroughbred horse racing industry. However, Newmarket has more to offer than just horses. It's a fantastic place to live. Its location, sense of community, outdoor activities, excellent schools, rich history and culture and ongoing development make it an attractive destination for those looking for a comfortable and welcoming place to call home. Despite all these amazing assets, a cinema has been absent from Newmarket since the Kingsway shut its doors in 1977. For many years now, I and several others, such as the Newmarket Charitable Foundation, have campaigned for a new cinema in Newmarket. While it's taken a lot of time and energy, we're finally making some promising steps to achieving our goal. We're excited to be working with the Jockey Club, exploring the feasibility of turning the former subscription rooms, once home to the National Horse Racing Museum, into a boutique cinema. A trial mobile cinema was introduced during the February half-term, and I was delighted to see so many local people come together and watch the latest films. More than 1,500 people completed a questionnaire examining the public appetite for a permanent cinema in Newmarket, and I was thrilled to learn that 96% of these responses were in favour of a permanent Newmarket cinema. This was another important step towards our goal. Since becoming MP for West Suffolk in 2010, I have always argued it's unacceptable for Newmarket residents to have to travel 25 minutes to watch a film at the cinema. The cinema is a place where people can come together in the experience of watching a movie. Without a cinema in town, Residents would have to travel to Cambridge to see the latest films, which is inconvenient and costly, particularly for families who would have to pay for transportation and parking. By having a cinema in town, residents have the opportunity to see the latest movies without having to leave their community. From an economic perspective, a cinema provides important monetary benefits to the town. It would attract visitors from surrounding areas who come to see films, which in turn stimulates local businesses, such as restaurants and cafes. The cinema could also create jobs in Newmarket, providing employment opportunities for local residents. And finally, it would help alleviate the issue of young adults leaving Newmarket for Cambridge and Bury St Edmunds, as young people are attracted to towns that offer a range of amenities and cultural activities, and a cinema is a key part of this. Without a cinema, young people may be more likely to leave the town in search of entertainment elsewhere. The case for a new cinema in Newmarket is therefore clear, and I want to thank the Newmarket Charitable Foundation and many others for the time and hard work they have put into this campaign. I know there is still some way to go before our goal is achieved, but we are making significant steps in the right direction. Ultimately, I believe the town of Newmarket deserves and needs its own cinema. It has the potential to be an important cultural hub, providing economic benefits and helping to attract and retain young people. It would be a valuable amenity that adds to the town's sense of identity and community. 
The Dad's Army Museum in Thetford has launched a fundraiser after a statue of a major character from the show was vandalised. The iconic bronze figure of Captain Munwaring in the town's bridge seat near the river near the river Little Ouse had its glasses crushed. When the Cage Lane Museum, which opened again on Saturday, was closed during its off-season checks on the statue, were made and the damage was discovered on February the 27th. The incident likely happened within a week of it being found, staff at the museum said. A GoFundMe page has now been set up in a bid to raise the funds to repair the glasses. It's looking to raise about £2,000, with a little under £1,000 raised so far. Chris Holden, a volunteer at the museum, said support from the public had been amazing and the team was surprised how quickly funds had gathered. He said the act, it's, the act itself was sad, but being in a public place, this is always a risk. Typically, we'd pay for the statue out of museum funds, but setting up a fundraiser was something suggested to us by a member of the public. It would cost between £1,500 and £2,000. We could get insurance for the statue, but as it's on public land, owned by the council, it would be very expensive, and we want it in a public place, as an iconic part of the town. Support from the public has been overwhelming, and helping repair, it is something they seem to be passionate about. We hope we can have everything sorted soon, so people can go back to enjoying the statue. This is the third time the statue has been vandalised, according to the museum's manager, Rod Tregale. He said new bronze glasses had to be ordered from the foundry in London. Mr Tregale said the glasses are the weakest point of the statue, which means they've been targeted a few times. Once they're even thrown into the river. It's sad because the statue is an iconic part of our museum and we want it to be out there in the public so people can enjoy it. The vandalism is currently being investigated by Norfolk Police. Paris Edmonds Guildhall will host a free exhibition in April exploring the impact of war on romantic relationships in Suffolk. The Love and War in Suffolk exhibition will take place between April 1st and April 16th. It will open to the public daily between 10am and 4pm except between April 7th and April 10th when the exhibition will temporarily close. It will feature local stories of love in wartime, brought to life with the aid of a number of personal artefacts, including diaries, letters and photographs. Suffolk's history is rich with such tales, due to its close proximity to Europe. Throughout history, this meant frequent influxes of foreign service personnel, and this in turn exposed residents to people from a wide variety of backgrounds, and romances often resulted. A spokesperson for the Guildhall said, alongside the pressures of wartime conditions and separated from loved ones, from loved ones, unique bonds were formed. Some of these bonds were endearing, others were fleeting, but each leaving behind a legacy that feeds into Suffolk's rich history. Alongside the main exhibition, a number of talks and free family activities will be on offer, exploring the main event's central theme. The Guildhall in Guildhall Street hosts a programme of cultural and other events throughout the year. Right, we start with some letters and the first one is from the Berry Free Press and it's written by um, Barry Peters who is the editor. And he says, the time has come for flood issue to be sorted. The sight of homes and businesses being hit by flash flooding always leaves me thankful that I live in a home on top of a hill. I can't imagine the upheaval, loss and sheer misery of having water enter your home or business. Roads, though, are a little different. When a road floods, you might expect our councillors and the County Highways Authority to act, and act quickly to stop it happening again. Oh no! The sorry tale of Compiègne and Bury St Edmunds closed over the whole weekend due to further flooding leaves me somewhat bemused. Officials blame failed pumps, which didn't take the water away. Repairs are now planned for March the 20th. I guess we pray for no rain until then. Oh, wait a second, there is another partial closure on Tuesday, after yet more rain. Come on, a long-term solution is vital. Continued flooding and continued closures 
um, and still the problem exists. Meanwhile, councillors have said yes with open arms to hundreds of more homes just along that road. I hope all these those homeowners have been warned. And a letter from Tom Murray uh, from Bury St Edmunds, and he says, please use your vote in the elections. In May this year, along with the coronation of HM King Charles, we have the local elections. Please vote. It's local issues affecting local people with local solutions. It's not difficult to be put forward as a candidate. You don't have to be a member of any political party, although it helps with canvassing and finances, as well as local knowledge. For Bury St Edmunds Town Council, each councillor voted into office receives a locality budget. It's not many meetings or events. Please consider standing. Please vote. As a town councillor, we rely on hearing from residents. The town councillors helped fund local events and our Citizen of the Year awards are an acknowledgement of local people helping their community with the help of the Berry Free Press. For the coronation, there are currently 10 grants of £2,000 available to help Barry St Edmunds celebrate this coronation. They're easy to apply for at the town council. As a town councillor, there's no remuneration. It's part of helping local people to get things done. Funding has gone to Christmas meals for folks in need, community centres, Berry and Bloom, football kits for schools, help for childcare centres. Basically any local issues that need local funding from the town council. My next letter is written by Joanna Rayner and she's West Suffolk Council Cabinet Member for Leisure, Culture and Community Hubs. <clears throat> and she says we've invested £30 million in our leisure centres. It's sad to see in the council chamber and letter pages of your paper used for political posturing rather than the truth. Richard O'Driscoll wrote in your letters page, March the 3rd, that I had not answered his question about the continued funding of leisure and swing facilities in the district, especially for those most affected by cost-of-living crisis. Before I explain what I said and that I did answer his question, it might be worth noting that Mr O'Driscoll is Vice-Chair of the Bury St Edmunds Constituency Labour Party. Also, that the Labour members voted against the budget, which included a multi-million investment in leisure services, including a new leisure centre for Bury St Edmunds, at the very same meeting. Over the last six years, we have invested more than £30 million in improving or creating new modern leisure facilities at Newmarket, Brandon, Haverhill, Mildenhall and Skyliner, Bury St Edmunds, as I said at the meeting. These modern centres are more attractive to visit, encourage more people to keep fit and healthy, and are more cost-effective to run. But, vitally, our award-winning facilities, such as Mildenhall, has linked NHS services to leisure and is seeing improvements to the health and well-being of residents. Indeed, due to our investment and close working with Abbeycroft and Partners, Mildenhall has seen a 127% rise in membership. At the same time, running costs have been lowered as we use renewable energy, such as solar panels on our buildings. In addition to our investment has protected jobs and kept facilities open, and in this year's budget, which Mr O'Driscoll's colleagues voted against, we added an extra £300,000 to keep pools open when others are closing due to high fuel costs. Mr O'Driscoll also fails to mention not, that not only did he wrongly state that prices were higher than they actually are, that I also answered his points about those on low income. Also, I said to him, Abbeycroft offer a number of price concessions for students, pensioners and those on a low income. They work close with teams supporting vulnerable people across the district, including Home Start, social prescribing teams and our Rough Sleeper team, to ensure that they are cost-effective ways to access services for those really in need. And the income that is generated through the loyalty card is invested back into community activities. The Council has a pub partnership with Abbeycroft Leisure to run its le leisure centres and deliver wider leisure services. It's not a rigid contractual arrangement, but one that is built on shared principles and objectives and is open and transparent. We supported Abbeycroft through Covid and we are supporting them through this current challenge. 
equally expect them to be an efficient, well-run business, and they are, so I can be confident our taxpayers' money is put to good use. Important to note, too, Abbeycroft is a social enterprise, so any profit they make supports their community objectives. Now a letter from Peter Rayner in Berries and Edmonds, and he says there was a need for more clarity. Uh, the recent views exchanged between Ian Smith and the Reverend Richard Stainer on same-sex marriage has got me thinking. It seems to me the bedrock of their viewpoints are constructed from their interpretation of what God and Christ said about it in the Bible. The outcome? Clarity? Concord? Oh no, the opposite, I'm afraid. What it showed me yet again is how it's possible to interpret something from the Bible in a way that supports your viewpoint and someone else's. That's why it will never be possible to reach clear agreement or understanding as to what any one of a number of deities prescribed or proclaimed in their particular book. It's all a bit woolly. I'm given to understand the contents of these books were kind of dictated in some way by the deity in question to various human scribes. Could there ever be a more important job selected to faithfully write down and record the insights and revelations of a supreme being? If we assume they did just that, then I have a point to make. If I'd been selected by a deity to record a set of life and death rules and principles for living that determined mankind's very existence, I would have felt a huge pressure to, as a minimum, make sure that what was written was so absolutely clear nothing could not be mis misinterpreted or misunderstood. However, they are anything but clear. At the time, did the scribes ever ask for clarification? Perhaps they did, or not didn't feel brave enough to point out, to respectfully suggest, that some clarification would be helpful, that what was being said now contradicted something said early. It was perhaps all a bit woolly. But anyway, surely a being that created the universe would have been most capable of speaking and relaying the most important information there would ever be, in a way that left absolutely no possible doubt as to what was being said or what was required. That way we could still exercise our so-called free will, but be in no doubt as to the right and wrong of any given situation. Oh, what a mess. Endless confusion and conflict. If only that being would make an appearance and reiterate with supreme clarity and unarguable simplicity, so even a child could understand what he, she, he, it actually meant. That's got to be a win-win, surely. P.S. I totally support same-sex marriage. My letter, next letter, is from Martin Dayton of Woodbridge, and he says decision must be justified. Our government's Department of Environment has decided to deal with erosion and subsidence and rising sea levels on some parts of the coast of East Anglia with what they describe as a strategic retreat. This involves moving people and, where possible, properties further in inland to be safe from the advancing sea. As this strategy is being initiated, the same government has agreed to build a nuclear fission reactor and establish a storage site for radi radioactive waste at Sizewell. These dangerous constructions cannot be moved inland. In my view, it is madness to position this reactor and radioactive waste in this location. Can any one of our local or national politicians please explain how what I would call this irresponsible t decision can be justified? Now, Rex Ide from Ipswich has questions about the Brexit vote. I have no doubt that the Brexit referendum was perfectly democratic, but I believe the whole affair was based on lies. From the very start, that notorious bus suggesting we could save millions to invest in the NHS was a huge lie. Can we ask where is it? What happened to Boris's oven-ready deal? All the wonderful trade deals to replace the single market. Um, my next letter is written by Jeff Edwards of Berries and Edmonds, and he says, make judgment after the inquiry. Re Hilary Appleton's letter of the Berry Free Press of the 10th of March. Of course you're welcome to your opinion regarding Matt Hancock, but it appears to be based on this selected edited view of a few of messages from the private, perhaps personal, contacts that in this day and age, unfortunately, suddenly can be exposed to through our bitchy media. I hope, Hilary, you have a clean bill of WhatsApp health. Let's just leave it to the independent inquiry. Then you can make your judgment. 
Now, Andy Ward from Martlesham, <coughs> and he says, more licence fee rebels? With a question mark. Regarding Matthew Earth's opinion column in the East Anglian Daily Times, March 14th, he is quite correct in assuming there will be a surge in licence fee rebels. I don't remember Gary Lineker or his mates crying about human rights issues when they were in Qatar getting paid huge amounts of money. In my opinion, they really should stop and think about where their obscene wages come from because there could very well be a lot less in the kitty next time round. Right. My next letter is written by Graham Day of Stowmarket and he says city bid potential. Two correspondents recently raised interesting points about the state of Ipswich Town Centre. Being born in Ipswich, I too am saddened by the impression given by empty shops, neglected roundabouts and sadly decrepit railings, street furniture and the existing of zombie sites where nothing ever happens except continuous dereliction. The shopping centre is the victim of changes in shopping habits, accelerated because of the pandemic, because business rates not set locally by the Borough Council and the consequent feeling of decay, which ultimately can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. For me, Car Street, once a vibrant street with a cooperative store at its flagship, now unfortunately resembles the worst of dull, featureless and characterless shopping areas I have ever seen on my travels in Eastern Europe. The decaying wet dock needed to be redeveloped, and the waterfront is a real jewel in the crown, but has literally been plonked down and developed with no thought given as to the connectivity with the existing town centre. The Star Lane College Street gyratory system is a dangerous nightmare. However, to be positive, Ipswich has a lot going for it. And I feel that if a successful city status bid could be mounted, then it would ultimately bring improvements to the structure and feel of the town and attract more investment. One only has to look at the upsurge in support for Ipswich Town after its takeover and improve results on the field leading to a field-good factor after years of the doldrums. It's easy to be critical of one's local town, but in the end it becomes self-defeating. I heard Ivan Cutting of Eastern Angles on Radio Suffolk saying that Ipswich always manages to undersell itself. Very true. I well thought out City Bid supported by all the local MPs, county and district councillors, and generating enthusiasm and involvement of the public, would be a huge step in rescuing Ipswich. Being in my seventh decade, I, like many others, would like to see the town of our birth recover the vibrancy and innovation of our youth before we go to meet our celestial maker. Sarah Thompson from Woodbridge has something to say about the Prime Minister's carbon footprint. The Prime Minister already has a large carbon footprint and he's now made it considerably larger. At his constituency property in Yorkshire, Mr Sunak has reportedly had a new private heated swimming pool installed, which uses a huge amount of energy, so much that the local electricity network has had to be upgraded to meet the power requirements. This pool is apparently part of an exercise complex, supposedly, supposedly disguised as a farm building, but apparently it looks more like a bungalow. In my opinion, instead of taking increased electricity from the national grid, it would have been a golden opportunity for Mr Sunak to show, by example, that he has green credentials. This suggests to me that he doesn't have any. The roof of the so-called farm building should be covered in solar panels, giving him ample electricity to heat his pool. Compounding the enlargement of his carbon footprint are his reported weekend flights to this property in a helicopter. In tandem with this are many public swimming pools having to close or limit public access because they can't afford to heat them, including one near Mr Sunak's home, as they have had no government help. So in my view, Mr Sunak's pool is a hard slap in the face. Um, my next letter is written by Councillor David Fothergill and he is Chair of the Local Government Association's Community Wellbeing Board um, combined with Air Vice Marshal, Marshal Ray Locke who is CBE Chair of Stoll Housing which runs the No Homeless Veterans campaign. 
and they say supporting veterans in finding homes. Local councils work hard to prevent people from facing homelessness, so it's worrying to see the latest figures, which show a 26% rise in rough sleeping in England. Over 3,000 people are rough sleeping, and some will be former armed forces personnel. Most people leaving the forces make a smooth transition to civilian life, but sadly some fall through the net. We know there are veterans who end up sofa surfing in unsuitable hostels or even living on the street. Every local authority in England has signed the Armed Forces Covenant, a promise to people who served in the armed forces that they'll never be disadvantaged when accessing public services. Councils play a key role in ensuring those who have served the nation have somewhere to live and ultimately get back on their feet. It can be challenging for councils to identify and support veterans. That's why the No Homeless Veterans campaign was set up. It provides councils and housing associations with toolkits and training packed with practical advice and best practice examples. Um, The website is www.nohomelessveterans.org.uk Our Armed Forces Officer, a dedicated service to us and our country. It's our duty to support them as they become our neighbours and an important part of our local communities. Uh, David L. Axton has sent an email uh, and he heads it, a wonderful performance. And he writes, On Saturday evening, my wife and I attended a performance by the Bach Choir at the apex of Karl Orff's Carmina Burana. What a joy it was. The choir and soloists, more than ably supported by a small but brilliant percussion section, two pianists and even a small choir of primary school children, all skillfully directed by the conductor, delivered a splendid performance. From the opening bars of O Fortuna to its reprise at the climatic finale, the audience were treated to a musical experience worthy of any concert hall in the country. How fortunate we are in Bury to be able to enjoy such musical talents in such a fine venue. Well done to all concerned. Now we'll return to general news, and I'm going to read a catch-up from the Burris and Edmunds rickshaw. Things have been gathering pace in the the new location for the Burris and Edmunds rickshaw. Having a bigger space to locate all our rickshaws and cargo bikes mean we can now carry out just our wonderful maintenance work inside over winter, but also our ongoing training sessions in preparation for the warmer, longer days. Having interviewed many new volunteers, we believe it's important to welcome them to the team through interactive training establishing safe way, safe but easier ways to add cover with the waterproof hoods and cosy toes blankets. Many of our regular rides continue in the crisp shorter days because we can offer these extras when the weather isn't quite so perfect as we would like. Our new training team can offer both one-to-one support along with team talks that allow all volunteers to share and help each other deliver more smiles per mile as a valuable asset to our services. Every person who steps forward to give to help steps forward to help is given an opportunity to experience how a passenger feels having a ride themselves, along with taking a friend or family member out after their initial training. The communications is paramount to providing the backup that riders need, which is remotely set up with our volunteer controllers, who spend many hours connecting the different requests from people booking a rickshaw ride to informing our riders of the exact details. This is no mean feat when the weather can change so quickly, but, like swans, the team is dedicated in delivering a professional service. This month we pay special thanks to our chatty chums and controllers who made our biggest meal delivery, a record number of 76 happy people who not only had a friendly phone call but a face-to-face chat with our volunteer riders. As I'm sure you're aware, we are not an organisation that likes to stand still. So we have been trialling a different wheelchair rickshaw which you may have seen around the town. Due to its performances, we have placed an order 
which should mean it will be visible and available to book a ride in from May this year. Our pop-up events have already started when we supported the girls' night out, and our next one will be Good Friday, so look out for us. A farm near Bury St Edmunds that supports adults <laughs> with additional needs has been recognised in this year's Suffolk Greenest County Awards. Depton Care Farm, which provides learning programmes and work opportunities in agriculture and horticulture for adults with learning and physical disabilities, was named the winner in the small business category. The judges said of the farm, they ticked every possible box to win this award. It's run with the ethos of an organic farm, but with incredible benefits for both the education and community aspects. The care farm also helps with biodiversity by growing unusual strains of vegetables and a wide range of trees in the orchard. They also have a well thought out and ambitious strategic plan to move forward over the next few years, he added. Tim Freethy, director of Depton Care Farm, said, we're completely thrilled at winning this award. Everyone does their bit on the farm to help protect the environment. By raising awareness of and engagement with environment issues at all levels, we're reducing the carbon footprint of our farm and spreading that impact across the wider community. The Suffolk Greenest County Awards were presented on Wednesday, March the 8th at The Hold in Ipswich. They were hosted by Mark Murphy from BBC Radio Suffolk with guest speaker Christine Luxton, Chief Executive Officer at Suffolk Wildlife Trust. Councillor Richard Rout, Suffolk County Council's Deputy Leader, said, with over 100 nominations for all our awards and 2,200 votes cast for our green hero, there is so much energy and passion in Suffolk to care for our local environment. Huge congratulations to all our winners. Matt Hancock, who visited the site last week, said, the work Depton Care Farm do is remarkable and the support they offer to some of the most vulnerable people in Suffolk is awe-inspiring. Depton Care Farm is an amazing place and somewhere we should all be incredibly proud of. St Edmundsbury Cathedral will see the addition of a stainless steel sculpture this Lent season. The Crown of Thorns sculpture has been created by artist Steve Jones and will be displayed in the cathedral from next Monday. The 64 kilogram seasonal display made of steel rods and blade-like thorns will hang above the nave's altar. Sorry, will hang above the nave altar under the cathedral tower until mid-April. The Reverend Canon Philip Banks, Canon Presenter at St Edmundsby Cathedral, said, We are honoured to receive such an impressive piece of artwork from Steve, who has spent many hours creating this in his workshop. We look forward to the Crown of Thorns being a focal point in the cathedral during Lent and Eastertide, and invite the local community to come and view it while it's on display. A Tesco Express, which was shut for more than a month for a revamp, has reopened. The store in Lawson Place, Bury St Edmunds, closed on February the 11th and welcomed back customers uh, on Thursday. A spokesman said the store has had a complete refresh with new fixtures and fittings throughout and we also have a new Costa coffee machine to enjoy as well. A new project is set to mark the 850th anniversary of a violent battle that helped end the rebellion. The Battle of Fornham in 1173 was a huge national significance and the project will involve a series of events. To mark the anniversary, West Suffolk Council, the Battlefields Trust and All Saints Hotel are working together to help further understanding of the battle and its importance in the county's history. Moises Hall Museum will also have a new display dedicated to the battle, which includes the two Fornham swords side by side for the first time, and a series of talks will be held at the museum as well as All Saints Hotel. Councillor Joe Rayner, Cabinet Member for Leisure and Culture at West Suffolk Council, said, This violent and bloody battle played a pivotal role in the revolt. Our history and heritage are important to us and our communities here in West Suffolk so ensuring that people understand the national significance of the Battle of Fornham 850 years ago is important. 
that is why it is so great for West Suffolk Council to be working alongside the Battlefields Trust and All Saints Hotel on this exciting project that will provide lots of opportunities for residents of all ages to learn more about this piece of our history. The project has been supported with £6,000 of locality funding from Suffolk County Councillors Becky Hobsonberger and Robert Everett with match funding from All Saints Hotel and resources also committed by West Suffolk Council's Heritage Service. The Battle of Fornham happened during the revolt of 1173, where three of the sons of Henry II rose up against their father, supported by Louis VII of France. Battles and uprisings occurred across Normandy and England as a family feud caused a civil war of huge complexity. Moises Hall Museum has created a blog which has been published to the Bury St Edmunds and Beyond website as an introduction to the battle. Then we have a looking back feature uh, with Martin Taylor and he heads it Street That Was Paved in Wood. Uh, he's a local historian, author and tour guide and he's trawled through his archive to find some favourite Bury St Edmunds stories. At one time, it was thought criminals, whether hardened or just unfortunate victims of poverty or circumstances, would not cause problems if they served their sentences in the colonies, out of sight and out of mind. The end of the American War of Independence in 1783 saw the newly created USA refusing to accept any more transportees, so a new strategy came into being, send them to Australia. Thus a ship, the Guardian, left for New South Wales in July 1789, carrying a ragbag cargo of miscreants to serve sentences ranging from seven years to life, those completing their allocated terms very rarely returning. Bury St Edmund's assizes probably contributed to these unwilling travellers, good riddance and all that, uh, with the enforced oceanic crossings not finishing until 1867. Devoid of human cargo to make the return journey to Old Blighty safely, it was necessary to take on ballast, and so much the better if this was profitable. And this is how Jarra wood, Eucalyptus marginata, a high-density wood from Western Australia, came to be brought to Britain. Jarra's natural properties of being fire and water-resistant led to it being used in construction work and road surfacing during the 19th century, and buries Abbeygate Street, was at one time overlaid with Jarrah wood blocks. The eight by four by three inch tar-soaked blocks were laid on their side with the idea of muffling the noise of tradesmen's horses and carts in this principal shopping street. But heavier modern day traffic saw the street closed and the blocks removed in 1952, then resurfaced with asphalt. These days, the street is surfaced with herringbone, rustic-coloured brick pavers and is subject to certain closure times, in effect, pedestrianised. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsby News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Pat, Sue, David, David. and Chris, it's bye. goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.